All right, so this episode is just a mess. Let's establish that right now, right here. Basically, I fludged up again, flubbed up, and there was a glitch. I'm sitting, I did the whole episode, so I'm not, I'm, I just can't redo it. Did the whole episode over half an hour, and it recorded through my laptop. Now, it doesn't sound horrible, but it's not up to my normal quality. And so I wanted to make that comment known. And as you'll be able to tell right now, I'm on my normal mic, and I figured out the glitch and got it fixed, but only after I recorded the episode. Once again, I've made the fatal mistake of not doing a quick test to make sure all my settings are lined up. So I apologize for the poor audio quality. Today's episode, a bit everywhere. Coming off 4th of July weekend, I traveled like 1,500 miles again. So no excuses, but I just want to say I apologize to you, Hanyaks. Thank you for sticking with me. Hopefully you can power through this episode and this audio quality is not too bad, but feel free to roast me about it. Just wanted to make that quick note. Without further ado, here's today's episode. What up, my Hanyaks? Welcome back to the Rambling Viking Podcast. Coming at you on this Wednesday. That's right. We rode the lightning into the weekend. It was an amazing weekend. Tons of fun and festivities. Um, Now, our little trio of friends, everyone's finally married. I was clearly way ahead of the curve on this, you know, getting married three and a half years ago. And these two yahoos took them a little bit, but they figured it out. And then they got married uh, almost exactly a month, exactly a month apart. So one <laughs> one at the end of uh, May and the other one at the beginning of July. So bada bing, bada boom, got it done. Now we can do cool married stuff. So as I said last week, you're guaranteed Wednesday, last Wednesday and guaranteed this Wednesday. But Friday, Monday was a real crapshoot. We we're going to ride the lightning. And I even hinted at potentially releasing my lost to Joel Osteen tapes, uh, which were basically my uh, recordings on my phone right before going and then right after getting out of uh, the service that I went to. So stick around and there may be more details on that. Those obviously didn't get released in an episode. Uh, long story short, I was on the road on the move a lot and didn't have, <laughs> I mean, I could have done it for my phone, but I wanted to be able to not just upload them raw, but do a little bit of recording. And it was a crazy wild weekend. So it didn't, didn't afford for that. And I didn't have any things pre-recorded in the can so that's what happened and that's what happens when you ride lightning sometimes okay so you knew what you were in for i knew what i was in for the show knew what they were in for Um, people who don't keep up with the show enough maybe didn't realize that but now you're all caught up uh and i actually might make this a thing either do pre-recorded stuff or or just take fourth of july weekend off every year and just as a symbol of like, hey, get away, step away. We're not going to talk about anything. Or if I do, it'll be maybe I just re-upload my Freedom Weekend from, I believe, last year, maybe two years ago, though, that I did for the 4th of July, where we go over the Declaration and talk about different aspects of America and kind of celebrate and rehash because it's important to remember. It's not just important to celebrate, but it's important to remember. And so while we celebrate by blowing up things, the only, you know, the only way America knows how and and barbecuing our brains out we it's important to actually reflect intentionally on founding documents on the founding of this nation the principles that started this nation and yeah take a serious look at where we're at and the fact that we do have problems but address them honestly and within the proper context that's that's obviously a buzzword nowadays you know it's all it's out of context it's a lot of times used when people um get get shown for you know when they get found out, they get caught in something they said, and they're like, well, that's out of context. And it's like, it's not out of context. But then there's other instances where context doesn't very matter. And that's that's the way that I think 
particularly the media and a lot of takes, things get played with is specific context. And that's why words matter and that's why context matters. But we're not here to be that serious today. We're going to have, we're gonna relax, kick back, have a good time. I hope you had a wonderful 4th of July weekend. I would love to hear about any of the antics that went on. It was a different 4th of July weekend because my buddy got married. Now, while jokingly, I will talk about my small annoyance and the fact that pick July 4th weekend to get married, Alex. At the same time, uh, I can see why that's a cool weekend now. Now, July 4th is also your wedding anniversary. And I'm thinking back going, oh, man, you mean freedom anniversary? Like, it's my wedding and freedom at the same time. And so I don't really have to. It's built-in planning. Like, everyone's getting pumped for July 4th. You're going to the lake. You're getting together with family. Oh, and it happens to be our anniversary. So, high-level move, Alex. Good job. But, nonetheless, I'm most excited to see people get married and to witness that and witness the, the covenant that you go into in marriage. The, the sad state of marriage. I, I, the more, the older I get and the more I'm around, the sad truth and harshness of divorce and marriages going through struggles and falling apart... I'm reminded how the sad state of marriage in our country and how it's more based on feelings than, than, than action and commitment. And uh, I, that's why I'm, I'm probably going to hang too. If you listen to my breakdown of mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis quote about marriage is that marriage, the, the, the feeling of love and deep love for someone sparks or thrusts us to the commitment of love, um, which are both love. And the action of love that leads us to make a promise to love you and only you uh, for the rest of rest of our lives, rest of my life, and how marriage is built on a promise, not a feeling. But I think that has been confused in our day and age. So, um, so while I, I'm reminded of that by witnessing up close, you know, marriages falling apart and divorce being being a thing, so so prevalent. When I then I go to a wedding and I'm reminded of a what you know my own marriage and the beauty of marriage and then also the the serious commitment that marriage is and it entails and it requires me to think back so especially if I'm in maybe a crappy mood or something which not really in a crappy mood but it just reminds me of how much I love my wife and not just the feeling but the choice of saying no I love you and then making myself say that and saying you know what I need to love you better. Um, it's a good reminder. So to my married peeps out there, try and make it a habit to, to find your way to weddings uh, every, every, every so often. I think it's a great reminder for those who are married of, A, how you felt back when you got married and what led you to want to marry the person you're married to and how serious of a commitment that is as you listen to the vows and the ceremony and you say, oh, that's it's very serious and focus in for me. I always focus in on the, you know, for, for richer, for poorer in sickness in sickness and in health, you know, in the good, the good is easy. The good of life is always easy. It's easy to be committed when things are good. It's easy to be happy when things are good. It's when things are bad that you get tested. And it's when things are bad that you need to lean on that promise. So did not mean to make this a marriage rant, but it's just, it's just what happens. Right. And to, uh, to anyone out there who's potentially struggling. Now, I'm not going to sit here and be like, divorce is never an option. That's not reasonable because there's, the thing is, it's a two-way street. There's two parties involved. And so while one party could be more culpable than the other, I think it's, it's a joint effort. But then at the same time, I think people get caught up in the web of, of lies, of the grass being greener, or they're unhappy, and they, and they fall away. 
and you could have one party who's very who says yes I want to fight for this marriage. That's another thing that I come back to is marriage is not something that happens. It is, it is something you have to fight for constantly. And talking to my parents and those people who've been married 30, 40 years, it's, it's a never ending fight, but it's a worthwhile fight. So, you know, you, you have, you have maybe one party that does and the other party, it's kind of given up and moved on. And I can see, you know, it's kind of an impossible situation and that's where, and I think that's where, that's where prayer and God and godly counsel comes in because, I mean, God can repair the most unrepairable situation. No one is irredeemable. But, it, it, you know, and I don't, I don't, so I don't, I don't sit here and be like, they shouldn't get divorced. I mean, that's sometimes my urge, but it's just because I just, I hate seeing how flippantly we, we take marriage and how, how we don't take care to really talk about health of a marriage, meaning how do we do marriage? We talk about how we get to marriage, but then we stop there and all the movies, it's happily ever after, after the marriage. Yeah, things get happier, things get a heck of a lot harder. It's always, that's why anytime my advice to any couple who's about to be married or, or they got engaged or they're just married, and people might call me a Debbie Downer for this, but I'm, but I'm not saying it in this way, is that I always say, congratulations, it only gets harder from here and 10 times harder, maybe 100 times harder. Because now you're joined at the hip with someone. Everything you do and feel affects someone directly all the time. And your choices now are not just for yourself, but even more so for that person. That's how you have to think about life. Does, how does this, who cares how this choice affects me? First, how does it affect my spouse? And that is a big life change. Any big life change is extremely hard. Think about, think about learning, coming, coming to a sport, moving schools, going, and, and they don't have your sport of choice. And so you have to learn a whole new sport. You have to meet friends. That's very hard, right? It's, it's, and this life change is even bigger. And so it's just important to remember that because you say, all right, it is going to get harder, but I'm willing to work and make this. Because when we don't acknowledge the realities like that, then I think we become naive to them. And then when it gets hard, we're like, oh, it's hard. Instead of saying, ah, I knew this was going to be hard. You know, they, so-and-so told me this was going to be hard. So, um, it, but, it, but it can definitely sounds like I'm being negative or harsh. It's like, we're just here to celebrate. And it's like, well, it's, it's one of two things. A, I'm celebrating the joining and, and, the, and the marriage is the party that kicks off. It kicks off the game uh, of marriage. And, uh, but kickoff is just the beginning. It's just the, just the start. And you still got offense and defense and special teams. And you got a whole game ahead of you. Kickoff only marks that beginning. And that's when our emotions are our highest, but then there's going to be, there's going to be times in the game when things aren't going your way and you're gonna to have to figure out how to, you have to make adjustments, right? Here we go into sports analogies again. So, all right, I got to end this marriage rank. Cause I got actual stuff to talk about. Oh, but that'd be, that, that's a fun discussion that I'm having with myself overall is, is how to, how to approach the prevalence of divorce and marriages falling apart. And what do we do? And, and when is it time to, you know, to, to step in? When you, when you, maybe you see one close to you and you say, Hey, I, I you know, this is what you, we talk about what we're going to do, but it's, it's so, it's so hard because in some ways you're helpless and you just sit, sit by the wayside and you see it happen. And so I think the important thing is to be there, not to not to always pick sides and get caught up in the riffraff of, 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 of a couple who's going through that terrible situation, but to be there to support them and to counsel them not to become vindictive and vengeful because you want to see the people at their most vindictive people going through a divorce and then people close to each, each person within the divorce. And so, it, well, he was on that. Well, she was like this and, and it's just pointing fingers and fighting. And then it, especially when, and then it can become so, then they just want to, they want to twist the knife and that's not the way to do it. 
trying to be as amicable as possible, especially when there's kids. Jordan Peterson says, once you have kids, there, there is no full divorce because you now you have kids with that person. And so you may not be formally married, but you both have to participate in the lives of those kids. So he's like, there is no real divorce in that. All right, for real, for real, for real, for real. That's it. So we're back this uh, back today, and I want to update you with some news. I've got a cool episode coming with my brother that we are talking about maybe starting a, another series that is about, how do I say this? It's about um, brotherly discussions while still remaining brothers, right? I think nowadays more and more it's so everyone's terrified of, of Thanksgiving dinner table, the, you know, the, the metaphorical Thanksgiving and the re- literal Thanksgiving table. And what crazy uncle is going to come out say, screaming this or that uh, politically? And then we're not going to be able to have Thanksgiving. I don't you know, you, you hear these stories about people because they voted for Trump. They're not invited or they don't have their vaccine. and They're not invited. And and so we're losing that fabric that is, look, you are still my family and and I love you. I don't necessarily always have to like you. And I definitely don't have to agree with you. But you're my brother. You're my sister. You're my mother. You're my father. You're, you know, daughter, whatever. And there, there's something to that. And I have to always remember that. And we may disagree, but we should be able to disagree, talk about our disagreements, and then, and then still sit down and enjoy a nice meal, right? And that's something that I'm actually fortunate enough to have within my own family group. And particularly with my brother Brett. And so, and because we get some of the most heated political, philosophical discussions that you can have. We, we just come out swinging, right? We have these hard discussions. And yeah, sure, we get loud and yell, but that's because we're a loud family. But nobody loses sight of the fact that we are brothers, we are sons, we are, <laughs> we are family. And that's something that I think is lost. And so that's something that maybe we're looking to rebuild is how to have reasonable conversations without um, totally hating one another. And so a little hint, hint, I think that's uh, what we're doing one this week. I don't know if it'll be Friday's episode. There's a chance, but it should be an interesting one. And it's related to something that I said would be an interesting discussion to have. And this one more so is more of an open discussion than it is maybe a debate where we're picking sides. But uh, let me know your thoughts on maybe some topics you'd like to see us debate or, or just discuss, you know, are you more debate format or are you more of the discussion format where you talk about maybe the best arguments on each side and then work through some of the ins and outs? That's kind of the format we're going with this time, but should be exciting stuff. So, and if you want to maybe be, be on or, um, or join in and, and have a discussion of your own about a topic that either you, you don't know and you need help working through, cause I think discussions are the best way to work through them. Then I would love to, to host that here. And should we just start a whole new podcast? That's, I don't know, called like brotherly, brotherly love or something like that. Or, um, sibling, sibling disputes. I don't know. I don't know. All right, let's get into the weird for today. And then we'll close out with something very special. So (laughs) some, some notes that, that I just witnessed in the last week or so. First and foremost, we were driving through, I don't remember Houston or something. And I I saw a road sign. There's some construction or road work or something. I saw a road sign that said, warning, obey state signs. And I just said, so you put up a sign to tell me to obey signs. Thanks. Now I know that I need to actually obey, obey state signs. So um, now I actually want to blatantly ignore state signs. <laughs> and I don't know if, the, and maybe to be charitable, maybe that was, hey, don't, don't worry about the construction, just obey their normal signs. But 
It just, I like, it was like, warning. <laughs> like, oh snap, what's to watch out? Warning, workers ahead. Warning, no shoulder. Warning, you know, lane, right lane ends. Warning, obey the law. Okay, <laughs> thank you, Captain Obvious. I appreciate this. Is that what my tax dollars are going to for these construction crews to have stupid, redundant signs like that? Man, I really, God bless it. So there's your, what's the dumbest road or construction sign that you have ever seen? Send it in right now. So that was one thing. Oh, in sports news, sports news, for anyone who cares, me being an Oklahoma City Thunder fan, yes, you might say, why are you still holding on to that? Look, I'm not holding on to that in the sense of a grudge. I'm simply actually saying that, wow, I'm glad this is over. And it actually went the way it did because I'm obviously talking about Katie leaving because he is only proving how, I guess we'll call it mentally weak he is. He does not have that killer instinct. And, and, and we first saw, oh, he just went to bandwagon. People, people tried to be charitable and say he went to the Warriors, the team that beat him that he couldn't overcome. And he didn't, and he didn't have to be that guy. And then after that, seeing about the burner accounts and how he responded to people not liking him. And he's like, this is the best decision for me. But he, he almost cared too much, right? About wanting people to like him. It's like, look, you can't make such a weak move like that. Um, and we can debate that move specifically. People, people want to say, oh, no, you know, it's just a better fit for him. He actually didn't like it. Okay, so he could be himself in the Warriors. And I said, you know, I'll grant you that. Then he goes to the Nets because he wins his championships. And he's like, all right, I want to play where I want, play with who I want, and, and we're going to go play some basketball. That's the way I saw this move. And, you know, maybe build something for myself. And it's like, what, what was Oklahoma City? But anyways, so now he's at the Nets. Him and Kyrie, best buds. Vaccine requirements means Kyrie misses most of the season. A little bit of tension. The Nets are a flop and actually fizzle out pretty quickly in the playoffs. And then Kyrie signs an extension. Everyone's talking, okay, Kyrie's saying, Katie's saying, then Katie goes, nope, I want to trade. I want to trade, 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 trade. Get me out of here. So then that becomes the question, where does he want to go where and, and where are potential landing spots I don't really care about potential actual realistic landing spots i more care about where does he want to go because that can offer us insight into people's mindsets now of course we can speculate so much but i say this proves that a katie doesn't want to be the man on the team he only wants to be the best role player you ever saw he doesn't he can't handle the pressure um he doesn't want the pressure first of all and he can't handle the pressure he is not the guy to build around. He is the guy that you, he's an addition, which is sad because he's, he's so good. He could very easily be that guy. He does not have that killer instinct. You might say, well, he makes clutch shots. Yeah, that's a clutch shot. But there's, there's a killer instinct and a fortitude you have to have to, to put the whole team on your back. Know that it comes down to you. Not in the sense of, oh, there's Steph and Clay and Draymond's team and I just need to make a bucket. That's all I need to worry about, right? Now, the guy's in the NBA. He's hyper-competitive. He has some killer instinct, but not that ultimate. We're talking at the highest level here, that apex predator level. Doesn't have it. How do we know? Because it comes out his shortlist, and his first two teams are the top teams in their respective conferences. The Phoenix Suns, oh, top in the West, and finals two years ago. <laughs> not quite this year, but that's okay. And then the Miami Heat. <laughs> what? Are you kidding me? This can't be real. It literally, it was literally 
And, and to me, that proved it. That proved it. I'm sorry. That says, okay, that proves to me that you are just the weakest of weak and you're just ring chasing at this point. I want to go where it's good. Doesn't want to have to work. Doesn't want to do that. I mean, sums up basically our generation, which I think he's a part of technically, is is how we are. And, and I'm not excluding myself from this conversation, but what our proclivities are, right? Like, don't want to actually build anything when tough gets going. And when the going gets tough, the tough get going, right? And if you can even call them tough, right? <laughs> and that's that's where we're at. I was like, I literally laughed audibly at reading that update on my phone. I said, you can't be serious. This dude just said, who's the best in each conference? That's where I want to go. And, and and I wouldn't fault those teams for picking him up because he'd be a huge help. But at the end of the day, I'm just like, golly, like, yeah, dude is, dude doesn't, fortitude is the word he keeps on mind, has no fortitude, has no resolve. It's just, is just weak and wants to be, to me, he'll be known as the greatest role player of all time because he was good enough to be that dude on a team. He can kind of do everything. He can score. I mean, he's one of the ultimate scorers, but he only, he really only wanted to be a role player. And that proves it to me. So what are your thoughts on that? Do you think he's weak? Do you, do you care at this point? And, and I'm not saying that to, to like pile on necessarily. I'm only looking back now in hindsight and saying it all makes sense. And I'm glad that he left Oklahoma City. And no, I don't want him back because that's not the type of player you want to say bring back and then try and be like, oh, you, you know, he's back. We can remedy this. No, we've moved on. We want, we want players that can hang, that can handle the moment, that do want the ball right? That do want that pressure because they want to prove they can win. We don't want someone who wants to wait until things are good, then get on. Mr. Ultimate bandwagon player at this point. That's what he is. So that's my little sports blurb for you. <laughs> and some, all right, so a couple more. Moving on to the next randomness. Old Chicago, eight there. Their largest, so they do wings. I didn't even know they did wings, but I went out to eat. It was, it was us groomsmen and the groom. So four of us and everyone got wings except me. And I was like, I didn't realize that old Chicago even had wings. And if they're even that good and they look, they look pretty decent, right? So you got your small, you got your medium, and then it was pretty normal. And then your keg of wings. If you just said, excuse me, you heard right, keg of wings. That's right, a keg of wings. So that is what they call their largest order. Sadly, does not come in a keg. But so it's like five wings, ten wings, and then twenty-two wings. So there's a giant gap. There's no there's no room for those fifteen wingers because that's what that's kind of what I am is a twelve to fifteen guy. Ten is a light meal. I might need some fries or an appetizer. 12 to 15, I can live off just wings, but like you get 20 plus and it's too many wings usually for me. I got to be extra hungry or I'm just taking some home. And so one of Seth ordered the keg of wings and it comes out and it's basically just a extra big platter. It almost looks like a platter they put the plates on. And like if they bring you like the one of the skillets, like a fajita skillet and they put it on its own plate so you don't have to touch the hot skillet. That's kind of what it looked like. It was a high-rimmed circular thing and it was underwhelming visually they could definitely if you're gonna if you're gonna get creative on the name front and call it a keg get creative on the on the on the presentation don't just be like it's just extra big that's all it is 
But that was, yeah, fun fact for the day. So if you want to go to old Chicago and have a keg of wings, you now know what that means. And sadly, it doesn't mean that it comes in some cool little keg looking thing at all, which first of all, I thought it was funny. That it was a keg because keg is associated with liquids and here we're associated with food. So it's a hundred percent something I'm for. I love the naming aspect of keg of wings, but I don't necessarily the old Chicago. You just. You underperformed there, all right? You KD'd on that one, okay? So, but there you go. Fun fact of the day. And then an interesting thing that I witnessed, because we were back in, this was up in Southwest Kansas, where I had to go. At this point, every other week, I'm heading back to Oklahoma. We're, we're basically going on some road trip. So that's, <laughs> that's what we're doing. But it was in Southwest Kansas, small town, right? And when you're around small town people, so you get around big, big city, big school people is what I'll call it. Kids who went to big schools, it's like, I graduated 500, 750, 1,000. And there's this weird flip. Typically, it's all about class size, how big your school was, the prowess. When you get around small school people, it almost flips. And it's like, whoever has the, the least, the smallest school, smallest class size has the most clout, right? So literally, it's so like, I'm like, oh, I graduated 48. And they're like, yeah, 35. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, I only graduated with 12. And you're like, oh, snap, look at you. God. Like, it's some kind of accomplishment that your school was so rinky-dink and podunk. But any of my small school people, tell me, tell me I'm wrong out here. I mean, that's typically how the conversation goes. It, we might talk like, wow, that's a really big class because I only had 12. And you're like, you only had 12. That's impressive. And but, but it's this funny flip where it's almost, it becomes a, con and it's just, I think, A, it's just our natural proclivity for competition. And typically it's one upping. This is one downing. This is, this is golf style here, right? You know, I shot a 78. Well, I shot a 72. I shot a 68. And you're like, whoa, look at me go. And he had the least amount. And that's, that's the case with these small school kids. And it just, it just cracked me up as an observation because I participate in that. And I didn't even jump in the discussion because I think the, the opening bid, if you will, was like 35 kids. I graduated 48. Largest. Now, now my fun fact is 48, and that's the largest in school history, the over 100-year school history we have. So, I mean, we were balling out in terms of the largest, but that just goes to show you that was the anomaly because in school history, baby, still holds that record, by the way, 10 years later, as far as I know, I should double check. No, I'm not going to double check. It is fact. But yeah. And so I didn't even jump into discussion because I was like, I don't even have a chance. We're starting at 35. Pfft. Yeah, we always get down into the teens. Rarely. Now, there's the rare occasion where they're like eight, nine single digits. Now, that's impressive to me. Um, and typically, I also think, wow, not much of a dating scene or everyone dated literally everyone at some point. Or hopefully there's enough surrounding towns that are close enough that it's like there's an expand. It's not just the town you live in, but it's an expanded community. Kind of like a lot of there, there's several small towns and small schools that surround my hometown. They're maybe 10 or 15 minutes outside of town. And so it's like they there was, you know, we associate I knew kids from Pioneer and Kremlin and Chisholm and uh, Drummond and stuff like that. And so we could there was some intermingling. So the, those small, small school kids weren't just stuck with what what they had. So let me know your graduate. Here's a small school competition. Look, if you're over a hundred, don't even send it in. If you're over 50, send it in. But I want to hear your class sizes. Now I know obviously the right hand Hanyak has me beat, but I, I got to know, is it double digits? Are we, are we talking teens? Or are we talking twenties here? I want to see who can win this small school competition. All right. What listener 
takes the cake. The 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 golf we're going golf score here. All right, smallest class size wins. All right. Now for me, I feel like there I get some clout for being the largest in my small school's history, but it's still. And so that, that, that could redeem me to maybe jump someone who's, who's a 40 size, but not the biggest in school's history. You could maybe make an argument that I should be ahead of them in the rankings. But yeah, that's what we'll do. I know I won't win this, but I, I want to know class size. Let me know how small did you graduate with? All right. And personally, would you rather go giant school with hundreds or thousands in a class or Small school style with 50 in a class, a few hundred in the school, maybe 500 in the school at most. I lean towards small school. I think there can be such a thing as maybe a little too small, class B or C, where you have eight in a class, 12 in a class. But I think there's a sweet spot to have around 50 in a class. It's a good size. It's not too big, but it's not too small that um, there's only like four people and and and. And because and you can get in trouble and stuff. So personally, that's that's my kind of my sweet spot. I even go up to like a hundred a class, and I think that'd be fine because I like the idea of going to a school big enough where there's competition and serious potential to. Because I think having that higher level, more kids, this higher level of competition is going to make kids better and competitively from the, from the standpoint of kids who want to play ball at the next level. That helps them out a ton. So there's that. But yeah, that was my funny observation, and uh, I'm a small school kid, obviously. So. I've been privy to more of those conversations and kids going, I had 500 in my class. And I'm like, whatever, loser. You didn't even know a fifth of your classmates. Loser, wow, you hear this guy, 500 kids in his class? Lame. That's what I want to see. I want to see like five small school kids and one large school kid. And then the small school kids gang up on the large school kid because his class, his school was too big. It was so big, it's stupid. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. But let me know what you prefer. How, how, what was your class size? And what do you think your sweet spot is? Like thinking ahead, maybe for your kids, or if you could have picked which, you know, and, and, and had your class size. I think mine was pretty good. I think I would maybe preferred it to be a smidge bigger, but I'm happy with where I was at. I'm definitely glad I wasn't at the three, four, 500 per class. Right. All right. But as we close out, got exciting news. Exciting news, folks. As hinted at and mentioned in the beginning, I, if you, if you recall to last week's, last Wednesday's or Monday's episode, when I, when I did my Joel Osteen full recap, go back and listen to that, and my conclusions from going to his church, even though he didn't preach, and so I'm open to going to, when he preaches again, you let me know if you want me to reattend or at least watch and, and do an assessment on his actual, on his preaching, because to be fair to him, it wasn't a sermon. He he didn't he wasn't there. He didn't preach. He didn't teach. And so I think A, the format was slightly different, but B, it wasn't his message necessarily. Now it is his church, and so he is in charge with the sort of messages that get put out of his church. So he's culpable in the leader sense, right? But anyways, I recorded right before and right right after getting out of the service. And I totally forgot to include those in my breakdown. And so what we have are the lost Joel Osteen tapes of my, re my expectation and immediate reaction from going to his church. And I have those. And that's, for those of you who stuck around this long, that's how I'm ending this episode. There are a couple minutes a piece. One's two minutes, one's three minutes. So it's about five minutes in total. And I'm just going to play them back to back. And you can get my live reaction, which may not be in some ways isn't different than what I've already said on the podcast, but it's the, it's the very raw. I'm sitting in my truck in the parking garage at this point. Now, I will say to one quick note, 
the the pre-service audio was good. The post-service audio, I think I had turned my truck on, and so I think it recorded through my my micro my like hands-free microphone, you know, for taking calls on my truck and not through my phone. So that's my bad. So the the post-service one clip sounds bad. Now you can make a joke that it was that that it's God being like, hey, whoa, chill out, you know, don't don't call out one of my teachers. But I <laughs> it's a bad joke, right? Anyways. And so I do apologize for that quality. I think you can understand what I'm saying for the most part. But yeah, we've got the lost Joel Osteen tapes. Get excited, folks, um, because they're probably going to be underwhelming, <laughs> just like the keg of wings. And but it's always good, I think, to do the in the moment, because I'm sure there's some things I forgot or some things that that were more fresh on my mind that. Uh, that you can kind of get that raw reaction. I, I didn't have time to sit and really think on it that much outside of the 10 minutes walking to my car from the service. And so it's interesting. I would say, I think my expectations were correct from what I knew. Cause I wasn't going in totally blind. Like I've heard him before and I've even watched way back in the day. I was like, I want to sit down and watch. And so I watched him on the internet or TV and then was like, yep, that's false. But I just wanted to go in person and see what it was like. Right. So I kind of knew what to expect. So I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I'm some sort of genius because I'm not. But that's how we're in in today's episode. So before we get to that, I want to say thank you for being a part of the Hanyang Court. Thank you for listening. Uh, please answer and send in any answers to questions or if you want to discuss, um, if you prefer discussion debate format for the potential series that we have coming up with me and my older brother. Any Anything and everything, please, please send in your feedback, comments. Uh, if you want to be on the show, let me know. We can make that happen. But get excited. We got some exciting stuff coming in the future. And get excited for these lost tapes. So I think that's everything I have to say about those tapes. I'm just going to play them straight through. So as soon as you hear me sign off, that's what you're getting. So don't stop listening when I sign off here in a second. That's the key. It's like a in-credit scene, a post-credit scene, all right? So I'm going to sign off and give you up to the Joel Osteen tapes. So let me know. Oh, also, if you've ever been or followed his teachings or any, anything, let me know your thoughts on Joel Osteen. I want to hear your breakdown. So also, if you want me to go back and listen, so I would like to know what people think of him in general. I hold to the fact, false gospel. It is not gospel. You, you, and because it's either you get it wholly right, or you're, even if you're, if you're off just a little bit, it is false if you forget to. And his is omission, not commission, as much. There is some commission, sin of commission, but in the sense of he's saying something that is wrong and heretical. But it's mainly an omission, meaning he only focuses on one part and not enough. But all right, that's enough of me yip yapping. Thank you so much. Be sure to follow us on social media to keep updated with posts and different things to interact, to send in your thoughts. And um, if you want to send a voice message, there's always a link in the description down below. If you want to go listen to any of last year's Freedom episodes, um, I may put those, which episodes they are, in the description, Freedom Weekend. Or if you want to listen to my Joel Osteen episode, that was just from last week. Um, it would have been 320-something. It says Joel Osteen, Lakewood, or Joel Osteen's Church in the title, so you can find it there. But thank you so much for being a part of the Hanya Accord. That'll do it for me today. I'm going to hand you off to those lost Joel Osteen tapes. This is your head, Hanya. Signing off. All right, it's Sunday, June 26th, and I'm living in Houston. So what do you do when you're in Houston as a Christian? You have to visit the most holiest of holy churches, Lakewood Church, run by Joel Osteen. 
And obviously, I'm curious to know more about firsthand about this prosperity gospel and experience it for myself. So uh, I'm trying to hedge my cynical side that wants to come in and just dunk on the prosperity gospel and actually come in with an open mind and listen to the teachings, listen, pay attention to the service and see, you know, see if it is what I've been told it is and what I personally, what I have known because I've watched some videos of him before. But anyways, my first thoughts are that it's going to be, there's going to be some scripture. It's going to be more or less like any other church service. And then it's going to be craftily woven in or, um, it's going to be, it's going to be crafted in such a way that it's going to be a very subtle bait and switch. Um, that it's basically it's going to be like, all right, we're going to talk about the scripture and here's our sermon. And then, it's going to end up, if you pay attention, if I pay attention closely enough, it's going to end up being fully prosperity. And that's where it's going to shift away from being um, the actual gospel. And it's going to be, well, if you follow Jesus, you just need to do this to make your life better. You know, say it, if you proclaim it, you claim it or something. Declare it and you claim it. I don't know what his stuff is. Clearly, clearly I'm just rambling at this point. But yeah, so my expectations are that... um, I mean, it's going to be a good enough church service, but it's ultimately going to be a false gospel and it's going to be subtle. It's not going to be super overt, but we'll see. I looked it up online and he's actually not even preaching today. It's a guest preacher and he, he's only preaching. He's not preaching for another three weeks. So we'll see what happens. But I wanted to record my pre-Lakewood church attendance um, notions and see how they differ. I'll record another one after the church church service. And then of course I'll do a whole breakdown episode. I'm just part of a whole bigger podcast episode of breaking down my experience at Lakewood. So here we go. Okay. That was arguably one of the strangest church experiences that I've ever had. So I, I looked shortly before coming this morning that Joel was not preaching. And so it was someone else. I can't remember his name, but I was like, okay, cool. This guy's going to be preaching. First and foremost, almost zero scripture. Save of save the cliche quoting of uh, Romans eight twenty eight. All things for all things work together for good for those according to His purpose. Um, crappy paraphrase there, but and a couple other random verses. Zero. I brought my Bible. I didn't have to touch my Bible once. Not because oh they put all the scriptures up on the screen. There was no scripture. But also. I found out that the guy preaching, quote unquote, is he's just one of the worship leaders. And so it was just an hour and a half of worship with a couple, I think two 10-ish minutes, not even five to 10 minute breaks where he spoke a little bit. And then there were other two to three minute breaks between songs, but he just performed several songs, which I have, on one sense, I have nothing wrong with saying like, hey, I'm a musician, I'm going to express myself that way, you build it into your message. But then the message between was more or less Christian, it was motivational speaking on how God wants great things for you. And so it was, I mean, it was in, it was motivational speaking done in a Christian, using the Christian language. And there was no scripture, no scripture. It alludes to how God saves and he is our help and we need him and our faith comes. But it, 
But the central focus was you in the sense of myself. And that was the weirdest thing because it, it was, it was, it was you. God was a key part of it, a key player, but you, it came back to you and your life being better and you being complete, you going to heaven and, you know, you reaching your destiny. And that's what God is here for, as opposed to, we need God because we are fallen, broken, and he wants to be with us. They're correcting that. That's the thing. Is there's, it starts with some correct assertion, but then it quickly leaves out. To me, it is a caricature of Christianity that only focuses on the feel-good aspect. That's really what it was. I mean, I feel great after that. I feel, oh, God loves me. You know, God is always here. I just put my faith in him, and things will be good. But it misses, it doesn't get the full picture. So it was strange. It was, there was no Bible. There was no scripture. That's the thing that I come back to. It wasn't biblical. Where's the Bible? It was just talking about it and talking about God. And specifically Jesus, which on one hand, obviously Jesus is the centerpiece. But the triune God and God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and they referenced God a couple times, but I mean, it was, it was Jesus heavy in a weird way. Like I said, it was the strangest experience. This is just my immediate reaction, and it was very strange. So obviously I have time to process this and really go into it in the rest of the episode. But that's it.